Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hashtag Call to Scene. I'm happy to have um, someone who I've been noticing has really been causing a scene in my timeline for other people, um, which is great. Dan Hassan. Hello, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you. I um, want you to introduce yourself to the audience. Um, so my name is Dan Hassan. Um, I'm currently based in um, Nam, uh, what a lot of um, people would know as Australia. Um, and I'm a technologist working in the field of cryptocurrency. And uh, I'm from the UK originally. Um, I think that's enough for now. I'm a bit nervous. It's, I'm a bit, I've, I've listened to the rest of your podcast and I was a bit surprised, to be honest, when you, when you reached out. So it's a bit, um, uh, we'll get into it. But um, yeah, so if I'm a bit nervous. Oh, uh, don't, no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. So uh, we'll, do, we'll address your nervousness in a minute. So we always start with two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Um, I don't think we have much of a choice about causing a scene or not. Um, I think for me, the frame that I uh, look at it through is um, how much do I want to direct the course of the scene or not? Um, so I think if, if you are a person who is, um, doesn't quite fit within the status quo, then you are a scene. So what I mean by that is you can either kind of uh, keep your head down and kind of be quiet when stuff kind of grinds. Or if you choose to say, actually, that doesn't quite fit with me, it seems that in and of itself seems to be scene making. Um, and so how do I make a scene is, I guess, just by trying to find my own path through uh, through this world. And I do that primarily so that when I look in the mirror at night, um, I have a sense of at least... Uh, a sense of peace with myself um and yeah so what does that look like i've started chatting a bit more on twitter which is a bit uh chaotic but um mostly it's kind of in my own organizing with my workmates um in the ecosystems that um i exist in which up to this point hasn't been uh in really vastly globally visible places um but i saw um, you came, I saw, um, I think a tweet by Sonia. I was like, do you know what? This is, this is an important place to, to do it. So I've kind of started chipping in when I'm on Twitter. So, um, thank you for that. So let's talk about why are you nervous? Um, why am I nervous? I'm a noob at kind of thinking through this stuff. So kind of, um, I mentioned earlier that I've been living in um, Australia. So I, I'm not sure if people can see me. I'm, I'm very light-skinned. So light-skinned, in fact, that um, up until I was about 22, I thought I was white. Um, oh, wow. I was, okay, we'll, talk, I was, we'll unpack that. <laughs> I, I, was, I was very well aware that actually um, some of my backstory is not white. So I've got my mum's Irish, my dad's South American. 
Um, and his family lineage uh, is from India, was brought over um, by the British as indentured servants to grow sugar in Guyana. Now, I knew all of those things, mm -hmm. um, but they were, the way I grew up, it was kind of, we were also pale skinned, me and my two brothers, that uh, we, we never had to, we were always externally socialized as white. And the path that I guess my parents took was more down the assimilation route. And so it kind of, um, although I knew in the back of my head that my surname was Hassan and that, um, that I had this backstory, it was just detached data. It wasn't bound to like real life experiences of other people in the external world treating me in a way that ever caused a grind. And it wasn't until I moved to Australia um, with my partner in around like 2011 or something. And I got a job and on the second day of the job, I, I walked into the, um, the shop and the owner of the business started kind of doing a, um, I guess he might have seen it from like Team America or something like that, but just started making like a high pitched noise. And I had a beard by that point. And he was like, oh, don't blow up the shop, uh, you terrorist or something like that. Oh, wow. And I just remember it just kind of, it floored me in that moment, because I was just like, he's like, oh, if you're going to um, survive in Australia, you need to be able to take a joke. And I was just like, well, that's just super racist. But it, the, the thing at that moment was a bit like, I had this, it was like a shadow where I was like, but I'm white. Why is this yes. person? Yes. Oh my God. And it's because in, in London, I, I could kind of, it wasn't, I didn't see race. Like I grew up in a very kind of like diverse part of a very diverse city. But my experience of navigating through the world was never being treated differently. Yeah. And I guess I was in like a bit blind to what was going on around me because it kind of with a, through a kid's eyes and because it wasn't brought up at home because it didn't need to be. So anyway, um, yeah, when I'm, I'm a bit nervous because I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out the aspect of my identity and then I kind of, I'm no expert. Um, and so I guess I'm nervous because I'm very uncomfortable. Um, well, yeah. I want to I want to thank you for um, for for wow. That's see, I, I I always go with my gut on these things, and I'm so happy I did. So although you are um, a noob, as you say, in speaking out about these things, your unique experience is something I really would been wanting to talk about. Oh my God, someone who has been white passing and then recognizes because the world will, will show you who you are. Um, and that is, speaks so clearly to why this, the white identity is so false because it, it, it can be given and it can be taken away so easily. It's, it's, it's so transient, you know? Um, and people hold onto it either consciously or unconsciously so tightly that I can, I, I completely empathize with what's happening to white people right now because in the past, whiteness has been this thing that they didn't have to talk about because they were it. They didn't have to deal with any negative consequences of it because they were it. The system was, was built to perpetuate them as being above everybody else, even when they were mediocre or, or I mean, in the workplace or not living up to standards, but now, um, and I've been saying this a lot lately, whiteness is eating on itself. 
it is, it's, it, it, the parasite is really showing itself and it's really fucking with people's identity. And I get it. What I don't get, what I can't do is I can empathize, but I can't sympathize because it's, this is what we people of color have been walking around with every day. Um, because I don't get to white pass. I just am black. I come out the house. I, and just like you said, in your household, it was nothing to discuss. But in black households in the United States, what's discussed about race is how do you stay safe when you leave the house so that you yeah. come back at the end of the day. And so to be a child who, as you said, who understood that you weren't white on some level, but also because your family made a choice, because I'm looking at you, you're a white guy to me. And when you, when you, and that's why I said, asked you was your name, um, um, it wasn't Hassan because I said, what did I, um, um, Hanson. Hanson. It was like, is it Hanson? And, um, that, oh my God, that I can empathize with you. I really, I, I, I really. So here's, here's the kicker, that right? Must be, that must be really traumatizing. The, the, well, look, here's the thing. So growing up. I had this internal, um, I, I think I've had as close as it is possible to have had, like through my formative years, a white upbringing um, in, the sen- in, in terms of my own internal sense of what I have access to in society. I like that there is, I didn't really see or experience any barriers. The thing that I've noticed in the last years so over the since like 2011 or so is uh realizing that um seeing the change so like seeing um introduction of like uh, some doubt or some um like du- double checking assumptions on things like seeing more of the reality of the situation from different uh perspectives has been a really deeply uncomfortable one and I'd say that I, I do wonder if um, that is a feeling that um, people who didn't just have a white upbringing, but then are also broadly under that category of white, um, kind of go through as they decolonize their own mind as well. Oh, because, I like that word, decolonize your own mind. Um, I, so I, I'll throw this out there. My partner's an academic. So when I throw out fancy, it's because I'm surrounded by people who are kind of in the academy. So kind of oh, no, um, you, ambiently, and ambiently you, pick it up. And but, especially um, since you follow me, you know, I love that because yes. this is how we have these conversations with individuals because it's like, you can't just change shit. There's research. There's, you yes. know, you can't just, there's history. Um, yes. And now it speaks to a lot of how I now I've seen you engage and explains a lot. So that's good. Okay. Yeah. So like the, the other day, I just, I, I kind of had a moment where I pieced two thoughts together. I said, like, oh, maybe that's what that is. And I tweeted it out. It was something to the effect of, um, I was quoting um, Sarah saying, uh, white isn't a race. It's a power structure that only some people have access to. And I'd also heard um, people say it's not possible to be racist against white people. And so like, I was piecing those two things together and going, is, is it because uh, white is a power structure that it's not possible to be right? Which is a clumsy way. It's, I don't, not having put it out there into the world, but then it just, it kind of went uh, viral. And I don't agree 100% with, uh, it wasn't as nuanced as it could be. 
But okay. it's a hundred like it's revealed to me like four or five other humans on the planet who I now know I can go to and speak to and clarify more of my thinking. And a lot of them are like PhD researchers or academics or people who've made this their whole like um uh they've they're, they're that's what they spend their whole time thinking about. Um and so yeah, like I th- it's interesting this whole thing that's going on in Twitter. I've been thinking of it a little bit like um, a really open and sometimes kind of focused study group where we're raising, raising our consciousness together at a global scale. But then it's also like we're getting kind of penetration testing and like active in the moment. Um, like let's say we talk about mansplaining. 100% you'll get someone who's either um, trolling and mansplaining or you'll get someone who comes in and mansplains it. Yeah, so it's oh, kind yeah. of you get these, these, it's a study group where you're not just in a circle raising your consciousness around stuff. You're also having like these forces from the outside world coming right there in those moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I can't quite remember how we got to this point. but well, um, That's yeah. fine because I want to move from this because uh, you brought Twitter and this is where I, I tell people, I love Twitter and they like what particularly is white people, because again, they have privilege and they don't understand that they've always had platforms where they could um, say what they want, when they want, how they want it. And, and Twitter has become the thing for people like me and people like you to raise questions, to have conversations and when those individuals who come in to challenge, cause I have no, I'm an academic. I don't have a problem with being challenged. It's what you're not going to do is discount, like you said, people who've been talking about this stuff and thinking about this all day long, and you're going to now bring in your bullshit because you don't agree. Okay, you don't agree, that's fine. Now, what is you? what are you not agreeing with? And let's have a conversation about that. And when you can't do that, it becomes a thing I can gaslight you on because it's like you are so fucking ignorant of your own history. Let me show other white people who, like yourself, are trying to figure this out, where the problems come from. Because there's some stuff is just so ingrained. It's not like you have a class. It's a way the society treats you that you just, all these things are just known, quote unquote, to you. And you don't ever challenge them because they're just your experiences. And so when someone like me comes in and says, hey, I haven't had that experience. And you're like, well, why didn't you? Then it's your fault you haven't. No, it's not my fault I haven't had this experience. It's this reason I haven't had this experience. And then I go down this list of things and they're like, well, that doesn't exist. Well, yes, it does. It just doesn't exist for you. And so it's just like this whole thing. But I love that Twitter provides people like me with a platform where I can have these conversations. And so going back to your further thing when you were saying you were nervous, um, it was funny because I, I, I asked you and Karen, who also just started following me, because although you were both are new, I've seen your engagements. And there are people who've been following me a year who still haven't spoken up, who haven't done anything. And I was like, these two individuals would be great to be a demonstration of how to do this. Because each of you are doing it in your own ways and um, in ways that make you safe. She's definitely a white woman and you're white presenting, but it's the thing of you're, pu- you're, you're pushing beyond, you're making yourself uncomfortable in ways that you're just like, okay, I'm safe here. I need to push myself a little bit farther. Okay, that okay. I'm still safe. So it's and, and it's that thing, and that's what everybody needs to see. This is not, uh, and you've been listening to this um, the the um, Seeing White series, 
And it's, yes. it's and it's it's a thing that was said in I think maybe episode three or four um, when um, where they were talking about whiteness. We're trying to create something that was never meant to happen, particularly the United States. So you're in Australia with Aborigines, and it, that was never though. When you go to all these places where um, where these indigenous people were either colonized or they brought people in to be colonized. This, the, the, what we're trying to create in the world with inclusion and diversity was never meant to happen globally anywhere. So yes, we're going to make mistakes. None of us know what we're doing. We're all making this shit up as we go. And we're just tiptoeing and hoping that the, 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 that the, the mistakes we do don't outweigh the, the great that we're trying to do. And so that's why my explanation of why I brought you on the show, because I've seen what you're doing and I'm like, yes, he needs to be. And this was before I knew you weren't white. So this now brings into a whole nother perspective that people need to hear because there are a lot of people out here who are not white, who have been white passing and their, their, their whole psyche is just like, I'm having these conversations. They're like, I don't know where I fit. Sonia even talks about this, you know, She's been, the, I mean, she definitely does not look white, but she's the uh, model minority. And how do, how does someone who has been taught to never question whiteness because you're better than blacks now who's, for, um, who's advocating for blackness, how does she navigate that? Yeah, it's, um, I think, so it's, it is important to part of when we, when you say get comfortable with being uncomfortable um it's the the trick in there for me is the uh word comfortable with being uncomfortable it's it i'm all kind of now always uncomfortable but i'm okay with i'm not comfortable with being uncomfortable but it's more like i don't resist it and that's like a subtle frame difference but it for me it really um has been the fertilizer from which i've been able to incrementally um test the waters um in more spaces but the thing that i'm constantly reminded of um especially listening to your stuff or the seeing white or just like as i engage more of this material is the 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 trick that um my mind plays on me is that it expresses itself as a choice um, yeah. and the thing when I'm in the UK, it's more of a choice than in Australia. Um, because in Australia and up, up at the top, I, I didn't do an acknowledgement of country, which I was intending to. Um, so I'll do it now, um, in good faith, uh, to say that I acknowledge the actual owners of the land on which I'm an uninvited guest. Um, land here was never ceded. So I pay my respects to elders past, present, and future. I think that's how it goes. I've never done an acknowledgement of country before. But um, yeah, here every day some, some racist shit happens to me where I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay. It's not actually a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, it maybe was in the UK. But actually, I'm really grateful for that like difference in consciousness because I could have gone through my entire life and I've had a kid in the last two years who's even whiter than me and has blue eyes. And I'm just like, how did you happen? Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, 
Tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. And I'm just like, how did you happen? Um, and I, I don't, I don't want them to grow up and be oblivious. Like I, I cannot, I cannot accept that. And the best way that I know how to affect change in those around me and with myself is just to do, to like to, to do it. And um, it stopped being a, a choice now. Um, like I've, I've moved a bit beyond, um, beyond that thought that it is kind of, because it's a bit of a mental trick. It's like a bit of amnesia or. Um, it's interesting because um, as I'm talking to you, it's like, it is so not my experience. And so I love having these conversations because they give me a wider perspective um, and the fact that um, you have a very white, blue-eyed son, and it's your intention to make sure that he understands his his space or his, I don't want to say place, but just his space in all of this um, and the potential role he will play in either perpetuating or going against some of these things. And I love how you come from a place of it being a choice to recognizing or feeling that it's no longer a choice. Because again, that's a perspective that I don't have. And, and when I say, the reason I talk about, and this has been so funny because that's, that simple statement, learning to get comfortable being uncomfortable, causes so much angst on the internet when people retweet it from a talk and someone start, they just start challenging it. Why do I have to get uncomfortable? We all have to be comfortable. Blah, blah, blah. And it's, first of all, most people, even though the statement stands alone, when it's retweeted from a talk, there's something before it and something after it. But I have no problem with, with clapping back on those individuals who don't understand the statement because they've never had to be uncomfortable. And, um, and so for them to, why it's like, it makes absolutely no sense. Why would I choose to be uncomfortable? That makes absolutely no fucking sense. Why would I absolutely go somewhere and choose to be uncomfortable? I'm like, but you do things that makes you uncomfortable all the time. Some of you people climb rocks that makes you uncomfortable, but you do it. Um, that, and so you can't get uncomfortable for my humanity. That just does not weigh out to me, but I get it. And it's, it's again, it, it speaks to a lot to what I'm talking about. A pr privilege and whiteness is now eating on itself. And, and white people just do not understand because they don't have the coping skills for this. They've never had to, the conversations at home about how do you, how do you manage to get back to the house safely? Or, or your color is considered a strike against you. So as a black person, you need to work this times much harder than everybody else because they don't have those skills. And it, and it's, and it's, again, it's, it's, it's disheartening. It, it, it can't, I mean, and, and the statement is meant to be harsh because most white people think it's, it's a choice. So I'm saying, no, it's not a choice. You have to do this. If you want, it, it's, it's again, what, what we talk about, what I talk about, why white liberalism is a problem. White liberals can choose what, what conversations they want to be a part of, 
what what um, stances they want to take because they're still removed from it. It's a choice whether I want to, and this is like, no, this work requires, if we're talking about in particular, if we stay in the tech space, and that's where I like to stay because it's safer for me to stay in the tech space because my model, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? I do not have want to have conversations with every neo-Nazi and I, that's not my, I have no desire for that. But also in tech, we are the innovators of what's happening. And once tech starts as really, really embracing this and start getting things right, other industries will fall in line because they have no choice. So that's why I stay specifically in this space and specifically with people who are understanding that if we're not doing this, our businesses will, our businesses will fail because lack of inclusion and diversity is now quickly becoming a risk management issue. <laughs> and we're seeing this it every is, single day. So this is, um, I've been thinking a lot about risk. Um, so the prim- primarily the field of technology that I work in is mostly open source. So I should disclose that um, when I first started getting into tech, um, the people in my orbit were playing around with uh, uh, a cryptocurrency called Bitcoin um, when it was still quite early on. I ended up getting some Bitcoin through the process called mining. And then in the process of um, the value really going up, I ended up with a windfall of cash, which meant I had this buffer of financial stability, which I didn't work for. I didn't make a compromise for. I didn't really, I don't feel a really big attachment um, to. So I I bring that up not as a kind of a, a boast or jealousy making, but it kind of informs how it is that I've come to be able to spend most of my technical life more within the open source scene. Um, and the the project that I'm currently working on, which I've been working on over the past year, um, I wanted to find a way to bring more diversity into what I found to be a typically white, typically young, typically male, typically highly skilled field of um, cryptocurrencies. And so the way that I went about about that was to um, gather as many of my friends together and go, what do I need to do to teach you how to use this stuff? And um, in that process, the group was pretty diverse. It was kind of like 75 black, indigenous people of color. It was like 25%. 75%, it was almost 50-50 um, male, uh, cis male or um, not cis male, like so along gender diversity. It was uh, along each of the different um, parameters I could think for diversity. It was pretty diverse. Um, and then I had a gut feeling. I was like speaking with the people there. I was like, there is something in this. Let's keep going with it. Mm-hmm. And it morphed a bit more into like an open source project. And in the room, it was still quite diverse, but uh, there was a growing amount of tension in the, the virtual room. We were using Lumio, which is an online organizing kind of like uh, consensus decision-making zone. And the, I, I just noticed it was really difficult, although like the numbers in the room were diverse. Um, the, the people that I brought um, on board to help with um, the tech side of things completely blind to me because I was not quite aware of it were like 90% male and like 85% white. And I brought these people kind of into um, a quite diverse room and it was just like, um, 
it wasn't until that moment that I was like, hang on a sec. I've been in this industry for nearly 10 years and I, I love all of my developer friends. Like this is in no way kind of a criticism of them. But how is it that I have arrived 10 years into this and I don't like my programmer friends do not reflect the rest of my friendship yeah. network? Yes. Like what, what is that about? Yes. And I like, had been struggling with that um, until I saw your post about Stack Overflow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I was just seeing that was a bit of a aha moment for me because I was like, oh, it, it, oh, Kim, thank you. Because I have been struggling with that for six or seven months. I've been going, what's going on? Why, yeah, why is yeah. that the case? And that's why and I it, stick with Stack Overflow because they don't see that they're perpetuating this same thing. And so that's why I broke it down because I know people like you were asking these questions. So basically, um, and it comes back to risk. Now, when you bring up risk, you bring it in terms of like uh, risk to companies, success or like their competitive advantage. Um, so I've been looking at risk from the, the other side because the, the fact is um, there are black um, people of color coders smashing it, typically yep. in corporate yep. zones, kind of like more often than not, um, like kind of isolate within industries more often than not as mm-hmm. a generalization. Mm-hmm. The, the moment, so, uh, as a side note, one of the places that our, our team took the kind of project that we're working on was this um, project called um, the Afrotech Fest in London, which was basically um, a celebration. Yeah, of, I'm hopefully, um, I will be doing my conference there and I'm hopefully getting my, focusing on getting one of their organizers. I met them when I was at Euro um, JS Conf UE. EU and definitely Sweet. yes, 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 yes. So, um, our, like a couple of our team members, um, uh, Lynn and Dre, and then supported by Kieran, gave her like cryptocurrency 101 workshop and they sent pictures. And I was just like, look, there, there is proof in the pudding, right? They managed to pack a pretty big venue in London across a two or three days, I can't remember. And it was jam packed with talented developers. And when you move across to open source, it's like, almost all white. And I'm like, what, like, um, and I think it comes down to risk and it's the risk is, uh, in this society and white supremacist patriarchal kind of like system that we've created, the risks are like heavily against, um, not white people. So just through navigating through the world, you you need to decrease risk at all. Yeah. Um, other possible avenues. Everything else is (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. So there's this risk outweigh, whereas those in open source, they are taking risks because you can't always monetize it. Yeah. Um, but they can afford to take risks. Yes. They're privileged enough. They have access to enough other things. And so it made me realize in the project that I'm working on, um, our team's like small. We're all kind of new parents. We've all got kids under two. We kind of work part-time. And I was kind of like, how can I make this team more diverse? And I was like, in my very particular instance, it would mean we'd need to gather funding to be able to secure um, a runway for a black or person of color coder or queer coder or whatever for a certain amount of time, full time. And yes. we need to secure that for them. And we, that's, what it would, that's what would be needed for our small team to become more diverse, just at a very personal from. And it took me ages, Kim, to, to realize that because I know a lot of um, people who know 
rad coders, but even me, I, like I realized I was doing this thing because I, I asked my black friends, I was like, hey, can you put me in touch with your black coder friends? And almost like I did that thing and mm -hmm. almost unanimously, yeah, yeah. either people just didn't respond or they were just like, hell no, because that's yeah. such a red flag. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I didn't get it. And I'm a bit like uh, embarrassed. Uh, I've, I've gone and spoken to that friend and said, please send my apologies. I get what I did and it won't happen again. Um, and, and but yeah, like, anyway. And the risk is, um, and this is, I talk about this as well. And this is why um, open source is not sustainable when you're talking about diversity, because um, you're looking at, uh, because let's use Stack Overflow as the stereotypical, um, it's white males, 90%, 92% white males ages 18 to 34 who have either no responsibilities financially, um, if they are, do have uh, kids, their wives or girlfriends are taking care of them. It's the same thing that we're having issues with when you're talking about Google's um, interview process, Facebook's interview process. Only white males between the age, stop treating people as if they're white males with the, um, between the ages of 18 and 34 with those same interests. People have lives. They don't have time to work a full-time job and then go home and work on Stack Overflow um, or open source projects. So don't ask them about their Stack Overflow scores. All these things, and they're very um, exclusionary communities, so these individuals won't be there. And it goes speaks to what you just said. Our lives are risky enough. We've been taught not to take risks. So it's not as, although we've been taught that to use education as the only way, because that's the only thing that whiteness sees as valuable when we gain it, but it's still, we have our place. We don't bump our heads too because we're dealing with en enough stuff. So we have to make these calculated risks. We're, we're talking about risk all day long. So although I do talk about risk from the business standpoint, I do that because until business leaders are willing to make these changes, because this is where this is, this is not political. These are not political issues. In the U.S., the, our politics are driven by big businesses. So until big businesses are, are realizing that they're at risk um, uh, monetarily and li with liability and malpractice with all those things, um, nothing's going to change. So that's why I speak on it from the business perspective, because you're absolutely right. I spend my day going into situations, assessing risk. Um, when I was just in San Francisco, it was, okay, I am at I was standing in line waiting on a table at the Cheesecake Factory. It's way too many freaking white people in here. What is the risk of standing here? And people think, oh, you're being over... No, I'm not. I'm not. Because some, no, at, at some point, somebody's going to bump into me because I don't exist, so they don't recognize that I'm in the space. Then I have to make a decision. Am I going to stand my ground? It's a whole bunch of things that we have to think about. And True. so um, I'm happy that, 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 that um, explanation of Stack Overflow was so important because people think I'm just being a bully, that I'm just picking on them. I'm like, no, you do not see, again, because I talk about, because I, I spend my time in various spaces, academia, history, a social, I mean, doing so, a business. I see things that other people don't see. I see some adjacencies that other people don't see. Um, I see, like, my life is spent in a Venn diagram. <laughs> and, and it's like, dudes, this system, is, is set up for this group of people. Let's stop promoting it as reflective of the whole global community, developer community, and that when people of color or black people don't engage, it's their fault because they can't understand the process. No, your process has rules that you don't even recognize exist that are barriers. 
So it's barriers to people who are constantly assessing risk all day long. And your platform is risky. <laughs> yes. And um, that is a huge thing in the conversation that they will not have with me. Um, and it's so funny because the more they ignore me, the more they give me a platform to talk about it. It's just like, I don't even understand what you don't see about that. I don't like, they don't, I don't know. I can't speak for them. I don't know. But the actions speak louder than words, hey. Yeah. And it's the thing of they've been amplifying white voices, particularly white women's voices. So I already know what the answer is. You don't have to say it. I'm seen as an, and not someone important to engage with. And so while you're, you're exactly your demonstrated behavior, whether you want to consciously admit it or not, it's your demonstrated behavior. And I'm going to let the people who follow me understand what that is. Because again, for so long, whiteness would have seen it as, oh, it's my fault. This is something I'm doing. I've caused, I'm trying to cause a scene, you know, oh, you're trying to cause a scene. No, I'm trying to highlight to you that an educated, well-qualified black woman in the United States cannot, who is challenging this company, who is, this company has actually changed some of its verbiage based on conversations I've had on Twitter, but they still will not engage with me, but yet they're engaged with other people. It's, um, I heard a phrase on a different podcast the other day, which really stuck in my mind. And I think it speaks to, um, the phrase you keep saying, which is whiteness eating, eating in on itself. And, um, it also kind of, I, I like it for my own journey through my consciousness, moving from one thing that I thought through to what I'd say is probably a clearer view of the reality of life, which is essentially, um, so the phrase I heard in that podcast was um, gated community consciousness. Whereas like, yeah, that captures something yeah. for me yeah, where it's kind it of like, it's, it's because it, um, it shows you a picture and it kind of like, you can kind of imagine what a frame of mind or thinking um, would be from within that space. And also recognize that from my, my own thinking when I was younger is a bit more like um, a bit more individual, a bit more um, worried about kind of myself and worried about where I was going. And I wonder if that kind of is, uh, feeds into or is a part of maybe Stack Overflow's response, but certainly uh, the pearl clutching or difficulty that some white folk seem to have with, with this stuff is that when you spent so long in that kind of gated community consciousness, kind of the individual thing, you haven't got the, well, I certainly didn't have as many of the skills of speaking to people about how I was dealing with stuff or my worries about things or uh, things beyond the small concerns an individual might have about navigating through the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, yeah, so I do wonder if that's, it's easier from within that frame of mind to just repeat something from someone that you kind of recognize as similar to you versus kind of accepting that there's stuff you might not know that you might not get that maybe it's, it's difficult to get people to buy into there's stuff bigger than you individually and fine, your individual experience might be difficult, but there's stuff that's beyond that. Like no one likes hearing or thinking, hey, I might have it on easy mode. Like I've heard that speaking in, in some of the spaces that I've been, it, that's one of the things people really arc up about is this notion that, um, you know, they experience personal difficulty in their life. Um, they don't like, they're not necessarily rich or they're not necessarily like, 
don't feel like they've had stuff handed them on a plate. And then when you come around and go, yeah, but even so, you still have it on easy mode relative to this well, person who is... I want to interject because I want to, I want to bring up two things because I want to go back to something that you said earlier. But I want to interject here because this is the issue. Whiteness, typically, and it talks about it in Seeing White series, whiteness likes to be seen as an individual until it doesn't. So when we're talking about the mistreatment of or you eat being on easy mode, it's the whole race of quote unquote, because it's not a race of whiteness. So we can't, we're, when, you, when, when individuals say, oh, I had a heart, now you're talking apples and, and, and collard greens or apples and, 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 and rutabagas. We're not even talking about the same, same um, the, um, not even one's a vegetable and one's a fruit. And we, I mean, yeah, so we're not even in the same ballpark here. So we're not even having the same conversation. And that's where people get tripped up because they think, oh, that's the conversation that I need to have with these people to get them to understand. No, that's a derailing tactic because we're not talking about the same damn things. Now, if we want to talk about the same thing, let's talk about, let's talk about golden delicious apples compared to um, um, Granny Smith apples. Now we can, we're talking, at least talking about the same kind of fruit. And it's just very, very slight differentiations in fruit. That's what we're talking about. But we're, whiteness can no longer say, oh, people of color are a group, but we need to be seen as individuals. And this is where it, it's, the whole system is parasitic. And it was built on, the system was built on making sure that, that the group above you, or so when we talk about civility, I recognize, because I'm still unpacking a lot of this stuff because being, being always been as loud and being as opinionated, I've always been told that I was inappropriate. And now, particularly being black girl in the South, I was just, ba- just wildly inappropriate. And so there's a lot of this stuff I'm unpacking and recognizing. This has shit to do with me. I was right on at this child. I had every right to call this stuff out, but I was calling out a system as an individual black child. So I never had the power there. Um, so when we go back to Stack Overflow, yeah, the whole get. I get it. I get again. I empathize, but do not start writing posts and tweeting about how intentional you're want to be about this. And this is why I changed my message from being intentional to strategic. When people who have the experience, you're not in, you're not enlisting them. You're continuing to ask the community for free fucking labor, which pisses me off. From the exact group of people who are marginalized, you want them to come risk themselves to come on your platform and no, they're not going to be put targets and then you don't want to pay them. And that goes back to your earlier comment of when you realize that the difference, um, that the difference of um, bringing in your black friends, they need to be paid. And this is why inclusion is not about equality. There is no freaking equality in this. You have to, we, we're so far behind and let me make this a caveat. It's not because we're lazy. It's not because we don't know we're behind because the system was never meant to include us. And so we're behind and it takes us, you to get out of the way and give us some, some things so that we can be successful. If you don't do that, you're just bringing people in to burn them out and they will leave. Yeah, agreed. I mean, even so within our small project, uh, one of the barriers is that we're all, because through uh, being young parents, we're, 
we'd kind of uh, projected based on, okay, everyone's getting paid part-time. But then even in the part-time payment thing, it's like, okay, so there is funding available. But then it, it's, again, it's kind of like, well, if there's a black coder smashing it, why would they choose to take half a wage compared to a full wage exactly. when, like, what, what, what's the... Um, What's the reasoning there? But I, like, I, I have even less um, good regard towards very well-funded corporate um, companies still trying to extract free labor exactly. from the margins. Because that, yes. that is just like... And that's my whole point. When people ask me, they'll ask me about this thing, that, this thing and another. I'm like, no, if they're for profit, you are not getting doing free work. Do not do free freaking work. Because they're making profit off your labor. And this system will not change. So a white dude can afford to do that. Because not only it's seen as noble for them. So when it's on their resume, they look, oh, I mean, it's all these other things that um, people of color just don't benefit from, from doing free work. No, it's, um, yeah, don't listen to Kim. (laughs) Yeah, don't do it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Is there anything you'd like to say before we leave? Um, keep doing what you're doing. Um, I think the anyone who says that they can't see why Twitter's important, I am one example of a human being whose consciousness has raised by finding folk out there speaking sense consistently. So if it's happened to me, it must be happening to others. Yeah. And I don't think the point is shouting, shouting down Nazis. If that's all people are seeing, that's, that's their loss. Exactly. If they're not, exactly. if they're not finding value there and learning, then yeah, it is probably a waste of time for them. Yeah. And that's, but again, I'm glad you brought that up to end because I've had these conversations. The people who've said that Twitter is a waste, even though I've been locked out and it's done, you know, it is not the safest place for us it's people of privilege who have the opportunity either to go to somewhere else or build their own damn platforms. It is not. um, But for people of color or people on the margins, trans women, all these people are speaking out. Twitter is the safest place for us, even though, even though it's a risk. So thank you so much, Dan, for taking the time. This has been a very enlightening. I love these. I learned so much in these conversations. So thank you so much. No, thank you. I wasn't so nervous by the end. You have a good day. (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCauseTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Cause the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.